All right. Good morning, church. Man, it's glad to be uh, with you today. Dan, thank you so much for being here and leading us in worship. Fantastic job. What a joy it is to be in God's house and to worship Christ together today. And if you're here today, I want to say welcome uh, as well. Extend my welcome to you if, if you're uh, one of our first-time guests. I know we have people here today also uh, from the conference we had this weekend, New Music Dallas. Thank you for being with us this morning. We're glad that you're here. We hope that your time uh, this morning with us is an encouragement to you. If you don't know, we had about 150 uh, worship leaders here uh, this past weekend learning new music and uh, being a hope Uh, refreshed and renewed in their walk with Christ as they will go back to their churches and lead worship all across uh, this area in the country. And and what a blessing it is uh, that we got to do that this past weekend. It's a blessing that we get to be here today and to gather in this room and to worship Jesus. And today, um, we're beginning a new series. Uh, It's a new month. Can you believe it's March? Isn't that crazy? Uh, Beginning a new series called I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And we just sang the song that will sort of be our anthem over the next few weeks. And just so there's no mistake about it, this is a baptism series. Like for the next few weeks, this is what we're going to lean into as a church and talk about as a church and gather around as a church is this whole idea of, of, of baptism and what this moment means, this ancient spiritual practice and why it's so relevant to us today and why it means so much and why it's so important. And I know when we talk about something like that, uh, there's lots of assumptions uh, depending on uh, sort of your faith background, what kind of church you grew up in, where, what part of the world you grew up in, you probably have different ideas about this thing called baptism. Uh, I also know that people have a lot of questions about it. You know, what, what does this mean? What, what, you know, what, what, what's it all about? Why is it important? Should we do it? Is it essential? Does it have to happen? How does this work? Is there magic in the water? No. Um, <laughs> is the water warm? Sometimes. Uh, you know, all these really uh, relevant questions, you know. And we're going to talk about some of those as we walk through this series together. But there's really two hopes, two main ideas, two goals that I have in mind uh, for our church. Two things I've been praying about uh, for you and for us as we step into this series together. And here they are. One. If, if you're in the room and for whatever reason at this point in your life you have not taken this step of faith in baptism, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm praying for you. Uh, our leaders are praying for you. And it's our prayer uh, that if you're ready, if God's working in your life and your heart, that you'll take that next step of faith and that you will be baptized. Uh, that you will confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You'll put your hope and your life and your faith in his hands. And... Um, and you'll, you'll walk into these waters behind me, and, uh, and you'll be baptized into Jesus. And we're going to do something kind of along those lines um, to really kind of lean into this hard. You'll see these cards. I think I brought one up with me in the chair in front of you. Uh, these little cards that just have our logo on it for this series. And in just a few weeks on Easter Sunday, we're going to have something I don't think we've ever done at Riverside before, but it's a good idea. We should have came up with it. Just called Baptism Sunday, right? And on that day, what we're hoping, what we're praying for is that some of you who have not been baptized will be baptized that day. And if, if you have questions about that, if you want to talk with someone about that, pray with someone about that, study with someone about that, if you have questions about that, all you got to do is put your name on this card, give us an email we can contact you at. And at the end of our time this morning, uh, you'll see our shepherds around the room. You can take this card to one of them. Uh, you can bring it to me after our time together. In the coming weeks, as we pass those, uh, those offering trays, uh, you can put this uh, in, the, in the tray and pretend like it's money. We'll take it. And, uh, and we'll get in touch with you, and we'll be walking with you and talking with you and praying with you as we lead up to Easter Sunday. But it's our hope on Easter Sunday. And by the way, Easter Sunday is what? Resurrection Sunday, right? 
This is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. So what better day to have a baptism Sunday, at least in my heart and my mind, than the day that Jesus himself rose from the grave. What a great day for you to also raise from death to life in Christ on that day. And as I'm praying, I'm hoping. I mean, we're going out on a limb here, right? Because nothing could happen. But we're going to go out on a limb here and trust God and say, man, it wouldn't be incredible. And I'm praying for that for our church, just so you know that too. Um, that we'll become the kind of church that sees more and more people walking into the water, becoming disciples of Jesus, being baptized in this church every year. In fact, I'll just be completely transparent with you. Something I pray every week for this church. I'm praying that, that, and there's nothing magic about this number, but I'm praying that this year we'll see 12 people baptized into Jesus. Now, I'd be fine with five. I'd be fine with 50. I'm, you know, that's all great. I just figured Jesus made 12 disciples. What if we could do the same, you know? Um, I'm praying for that. I'm praying that we'll see that. And you know what Jesus said? He said, well, he said a, couple, he said a lot of things, right? He said, whenever a sinner repents and turns to God, comes back to God, what happens? There's a party in heaven, right? What, wouldn't it be cool if the reputation of the Riverside Church of Christ on earth in heaven was that we were the kind of church that started parties in heaven? That's what I would love to be known for as the angels talk about what's going on at Riverside, right? That's the church where parties are started. And every time someone comes to Jesus, there's a party in heaven because of the work of God in and through this church. How awesome would that be? He also said that if you're a disciple, that you're called to go and make disciples. And becoming a disciple is, in his words, to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But if you haven't done that, we feel like that's a big part of your life and your journey with Christ is to step into those waters and to be baptized. Now, some of you, a lot of you, maybe most of you, have been baptized. You're thinking, well, do I just check out the next few weeks? Um, I want to say no. And I want to ask you to lean into this series too. And here's why. Because my suspicion is if you're anything like me, then there comes times in your life, seasons in your life, when you forget your baptism. And I want to call you back. I want to call myself back to living the baptized life. Like that moment, your baptism matters. It means something. And the baptized life, to be just completely blunt and honest with you, it means that you live different, right? It's a different kind of life. It's a different kind of living. Your baptism, it changes the way you do your job. The baptized life changes the way we do marriage. It changes the way we date. It changes the way we raise our kids. It changes the way that we vacation. It changes the way we spend our money. The baptized life changes everything about us. And over the next few weeks, as we talk about baptism, if you've already been baptized, I want to call you, I want to call myself back into living the baptized life because your baptism matters. Baptism changes everything. What it changes is you. So the next few weeks, we're going to lean into this, and I want to encourage you to lean in with us and, and think about this. And if, again, like I said, if you haven't been baptized, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to think about Easter Sunday, seeing you step into the waters behind me and putting on Christ in baptism and starting parties in heaven that day. That would be fantastic. And for the rest of us, my challenge is that we would step into living into the baptized life and thinking about what that really means for us today. We're going to start today with this question. What defines you as a person? I know there's lots of things that you can use to define yourself, lots of stereotypes you can fall into, lots of ways you can describe yourself, but at its core, what defines you as a person? When I was growing up, one of my favorite things to do with our family was board game night. You do this at your house? You know, we've, we've kind of lost this in the age of, you know, more advanced video games and our busy schedules. But 
if you can ever push pause on the craziness that is our world and just like gather everybody in the living room and play board games, it's the best thing ever, you know? As a kid, I loved it because, you know, for those, you know, moments, hours, whatever it was, you know, to have your parents' undivided attention, that was enough. It was fantastic, you know, to laugh and to play and to argue about who really won. And, you know, those arguments never end. Some of you, when you get it together at Thanksgiving, you're still talking about who really won that game, you know, 23 years ago, whatever it was. You know, we love this. And one of my favorite games was Monopoly. Anybody, any Monopoly fans in the, in the room? Yeah. And so if you like Monopoly, you know that you wish Monopoly money was real money. That would be fantastic because we could all buy a board game and be rich. Uh, you wish that life worked like Monopoly because every time you pass go, you get 200 bucks. How awesome is that? You know, what if that happened in real life? You know what? You made it through another week. Here's $200. Good job. You know, can we, can that not like happen? Can we make that a rule? You know, it'd be amazing. And, and on the Monopoly board, there's, there's a couple of decks of cards there. And, and if you're, if you're just so lucky, you get this card. I print off a big copy so you could see it. The get out of jail free card. You know this card, you know what I'm talking about? I loved getting this card. And if you read the bottom, it can, it, it may be kept until redeemed or sold. Man, this thing has value, right? The best thing about the get-out-of-jail-free card is if at any point in the game of Monopoly, you found yourself in jail for whatever reason, and there's no judgment here, you could use this card if you had it, and you could get out of jail free. You didn't have to pay any money. You didn't have to roll the dice a special way. You didn't have to do anything. You could just turn this card in, and you were out, and the game could continue, and you could continue to build your empire, your wealth, your prosperity, all those good things, whatever. Um, You could do all those things in Monopoly, right? And it would be amazing if you had the get-out-of-jail-free card. My, My fear is that with baptism over the years, and this is not on purpose, and I don't believe this was with any, with any wrongful intent, but I do think over time what's happened in, for a lot of us, and in a lot of our churches, is that we begin to treat baptism as if it were some sort of get-out-of-jail-free card. You know what I mean? We don't really think this way, we don't really say this, but, but we, we try to simplify it so much and, and I love that. I love the idea that we take, we take these big ideas of God and we try to break them down into the ideas that everybody can get their arms around. I appreciate that. But I think in the simplicity, maybe we lost part of the bigger story. You know, we, we, we came up with the, the five-finger plan of salvation to hear, believe, repent, confess, and, and then be baptized. And what happened were those were good, but it almost became sort of this checkbox system. Like if I can check off all the boxes, then I'm good to go. I've got my get out of jail free card. We realized that wasn't enough. And so we added a sixth finger uh, that said live faithfully, right? Because we wanted to make sure that when you got baptized, you weren't like done. Like you couldn't just, you know, do whatever you wanted. You had to live faithfully, you know. We had to make, get that check on the checkbox list, right? And if you grew up in churches like I did, you probably heard that sermon. Some preacher like me got up, except his shirt was probably tucked in and he had on a tie. <sighs> And he would say something like, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity, right? And he would lean into this language of the beautiful picture of heaven and the loving arms of God for those who have been baptized and stepped into this, you know, following Jesus. And then he would also sort of turn up the fear factor and tell you that if you haven't made that decision to be baptized, then you're going to spend eternity in hell apart from God. And he would describe the perils of that. And then out of that fear factor, people would respond and and again, some of the churches I was in, they would sing this Just As I Am song 23 times, and the preacher would get back up and keep calling you down till I mean, you know, you were, you were coming up. If you've been baptized five times, you're like, just come on, let's get, I want to go to lunch, right? And so, you know, that's the, that, was the, that was the weight behind it, right? To get our ticket to heaven, to get out of jail, to make sure we've checked the box, to make sure everyone's been baptized. And again, 
I think that was really from a good place. I'm not bringing down judgment on that. I think there was a sincere desire for more and more people to step into the church, to step into life with Jesus, to be baptized, to be saved. And those were all good intents. What I'm afraid happened, though, is that we began to lose maybe the larger picture, maybe the heart of God behind this incredibly sacred moment, right? As I was thinking and praying and and journaling this week about this whole deal, I, I I wrote this, and I just want to read it to you. It's not special. I just think I'll mess it up if I don't read it. I wrote this, and I, and I think this kind of it helped me kind of clarify what I was thinking. I wrote, what if baptism is so much more? What if it's more about your life now than where you go when you die? What if it's more about your relationship with God now than getting a mansion over a hilltop in heaven someday? What if it's more about what defines you as a person now than making sure you've checked all the boxes so that God has to let you into heaven? What if our God isn't? A legalistic God? What if there is no get out of jail free card? What if instead there's a way to restore our relationship with God now that changes who we are and participates in God's work to make things on earth as they are in heaven? What if that's what baptism is really all about? Now, again, I'm not going to pretend to tell you I have all the answers about all of this stuff over the next few weeks, but I want us to talk about it. I love the way I was talking to my friend Taylor Hammond. He preaches in Atlanta, and he says it this way. He says, baptism is more important than you think, but not for the reasons you suppose. And I think he's right. I don't want to in any way diminish the importance of this moment. In fact, I want to elevate it to an all-time high and say that I think God's desire and God's heart for this sacred moment, for the waters of baptism, has always been a part of his story and his plan to redeem and to restore his people. And what I want to do today is I want to back way up in the story. I want to back all the way up to the days of Egypt as we begin to talk about this this idea of baptism and God's desire for us. If you know the story, what had happened was that the the people of Israel were living in Egypt and they were under uh, the the bondage. They were in slavery to the Egyptian rulers and the, the Egyptian people. And the slave labor force in, in Israel had grown, or in Egypt had grown so much, the Israelites had grown so much that they were really driving the economy of the Egyptians. And Pharaoh's wealth and power was, was building because of, of the oppression of these Israelites, right? And God was hearing the cries of his people because they were literally dying in Egypt. And God heard their cries. The Bible says he heard their cries and he sent Moses to come to Pharaoh And tell Pharaoh, hey, it's time to let my people go. Of course, Pharaoh said, "Uh, no. (laughs) Why would I do that? Why would I turn turn free, turn loose this, this slave labor force that is literally driving my economy and building my wealth and my power and my position and my prominence as not only the greatest nation in the world, but now I'm the greatest ruler in the world. Why would I give all of that up and turn them free just because you say that God told you to tell me to do that? No. When Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, no, it, I need you to let the people of God go, the people of Israel go. Pharaoh says no. So God sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, okay, here's what's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be some really bad stuff. And, and you, it didn't have to happen. Like, you can let the people of Israel go, and it won't happen. But if you don't, then this is going to happen, right? And so, so that happens, and, and over the course of the next few days and weeks, 
these plagues come over Egypt, ten of them in all. Every time Moses goes to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And every time Pharaoh says, no. And you may think, well, man, why, why would God do this? Isn't God a gracious God? Isn't God a God of second chances? Actually, he is. He, with Pharaoh, was the God of first chance, second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, sixth chance, seventh chance, eighth chance, ninth chance. Now the tenth time, God sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, if you don't let the people go, the firstborn of every family and every animal is going to die tonight unless you let the people go. And you may say, why would God do that? Isn't God a God of grace and second chances? Yes, this is the 10th chance. This doesn't have to happen. But Pharaoh says no. And that night, if you know the story, death came across the land of Egypt. And every firstborn child and animal died that night. And this would have happened to the families of the Israelites as well, except that God had told Moses... He said, if you will tell the people of Israel to go and take a lamb and sacrifice a lamb and then take the blood of that lamb and put it across the doorpost of their houses, then tonight when death comes through, death will pass over their homes and no one in your families will die. So that night, all of Israel, they gathered together their, their livestock and their, their lambs, and they slaughtered, they sacrificed these lambs. They took the blood of these lambs. They didn't know what they were doing. It didn't really make a lot of sense, but God said do it, so they did it. And they put the blood of the lamb across the doorpost. And that night when death came through, they were saved. But there was crying, and there was weeping, and there was wailing in the land of Egypt that night. As the Egyptians cried out with tremendous pain and suffering because their firstborn children had died. Pharaoh, he's finally broken, right? He calls Moses. Not literally, but, you know, <laughs> calls them. He says, Moses, take the people. Get out of here. We're done. Moses tells the Israelites, hey, get your stuff together quick. We're out of here. He begins to lead the people out of, it, out of Egypt. And somewhere along the way, Pharaoh had a change of heart. I think it hit him again. Because as much as he loved his firstborn child, he loved his wealth, his power, his position, his prestige even more. And he realized all that was literally walking out of his country. So Pharaoh gathered his troops. And he said, we've got to get the Israelites and bring them back. We need them to be our slave labor force. And so they come marching against the Israelites. And here's what happens next. We're going we're gonna to look at this story from Exodus 14 to begin with. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can turn it on or you can watch the words behind me. I'm going to skip through this a little bit. But in Exodus 14, verse 10... Here's how the story goes. Israelites are on their way out. Pharaoh's approaching. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord. Verse 13. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. God says this to Moses like, what are you doing? Don't you know what to do? Moses like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we've never done this before, God. (laughs) God says, what are you doing? Take your staff, put it over the water. 
and watch it divide so that Israel can walk through. Verse 21, Moses raised his hand over the sea. The Lord opened a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Amazing, incredible story, right? This was the defining moment in the life of Israel. In fact, years later, the psalmist would write about this. In Psalm 106, uh, verse 9, the psalmist would say this, He, God, commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He, God, led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert, right? This was the defining moment as God walked before them, as God led them through the water to be saved. God led them through the water. And what's so amazing about this moment is when they got to the other side of the Red Sea, nobody was there greeting them saying, congratulations. Nobody said, this is amazing what you've done today. No, everybody knew this only happened by the power of God. There was no mistake about it. The only way that they had passed across the Red Sea was because God had stopped the water and allowed them to walk across it as if it were a desert. Walking across On dry ground, God led them through the water. And this moment was all about what God was doing in the life of Israel. Verse 26. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So the sun began to rise. As the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. And the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire, the entire army of the most powerful ruler of the most powerful empire in all the world, Pharaoh. They're all washed away. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Verse 29. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. As the water stood up like a wall on both sides, that's how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. And when the people of Israel saw, what did they see? They saw the mighty power of God. When they saw the mighty power of the Lord that had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This moment, this was the defining moment in the life of Israel when God led them through the water to save them from Egypt, to save them from the bondage of slavery, to save them. And and through the water, Israel is now given a new identity because now they've walked. They have literally walked from death into life, right? They've literally, in, in, in a sense, been resurrected. I don't know if you've ever done this. If you were a kid and there was ever like a dry spell and you got to go, you know, walk across a little stream or a little riverbed, but you always stepped down into that, right? They didn't walk on top of the water. The waters were divided and they stepped down into the riverbed of the Red Sea and then they stepped out up on top of the other bank, right? They're being raised up out of the bottom of the river to walk into new life on the other side. They leave the land of slavery, And they step into a land of freedom, the promised land. They step out of darkness and they step into life, 
This is what God had done. God had delivered them. God had rescued them. There was no mistake about it. This was the work of God in the life of Israel. And then they leave that place and they walk for 50 days. And not only if you've ever thought about this, but on the 50th day of that journey, they arrive at a place called Mount Sinai. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments. It's here at the 50th day after this, this first Passover. That's what it became known as. That night when death came over Egypt and it passed over their homes because the blood of the lamb was on their doorpost, that was called Passover. And after that first Passover moment, when they were saved, when they were spared because of the blood of the lamb, because they were able to walk through the water from death to life, that first 50 days they arrive at Mount Sinai. And there on the mountain of God, they receive the word of God. It's called the law of Moses. Moses goes and meets with God and he's given the law, the word of God. The word of God is given to the people of God so they can live into their new identity as the people of God. God has to tell them, this now is how you should live. This now is what changes about you. This now is who you are called to be and what you are called to do as people who have been passed over, as people who are people of the blood of the lamb, as people who are people of, uh, who walk through the waters of the Red Sea. This is now how you should live. You are now receiving the word of God so that you can live as the people of God. And every year since then, the people of Israel have always always celebrated Passover when the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost of their homes and they were saved from death when they walked across the waters of the Red Sea, walked through the waters. And they celebrate this moment 50 days later when they received the word of God to become the people of God. Shavuot, that's what it's called. 50 days after their deliverance, 50 days after the Passover, they celebrate Shavuot, the time when the people of God met God on the mountain and received the word of God. Now, if you hold all of that history in the back of your brain and fast forward with me about 1,500 years, Jesus is walking the planet. And as you know, at the end of Jesus' life, He's falsely accused and arrested for crimes he didn't commit. He's put through a sham of a trial. And the decision is made that he should die. That he should literally be crucified. And you know what time of year it is that they arrest Jesus? You know what time of year it is when they decide to crucify our Savior? It's Passover. It's Passover. A time when all of Israel is remembering when the blood of the Lamb was sacrificed to save them from Egypt. Now Jesus, the Lamb of God, is sacrificed. And the blood of the Lamb of God is poured out. Not so that death can pass over a group of people for one night. But so that the whole world might experience the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness So that the whole world, for whoever believes, could pass from death to life. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is sacrificed on a cruel cross. And as you know, he was raised three days later. He was seen by more than 500 people. And then his disciples, his apostles, those closest to him, they saw him literally ascend back to heaven. And then 50 days later, 
all of Israel is gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot. Fifty days after that Passover, when Jesus is sacrificed, when the Lamb of God dies on the cross, fifty days later, the people of Israel, the people of God, are gathered in, in Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot, which in Greek, by the way, is called Pentecost. They're gathered to remember the time when, when the people of God received the Word of God on the mountain of God. And I want you to hear what happened on that first Shavuot, that first Pentecost, after Jesus died and was raised again. Acts 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers in Jesus were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone, this is everyone who was gathered for Shavuot, everyone who was gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, present, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone sees this happening. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And Peter steps forward and he speaks to the crowd. In verse 22 he says this, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. And as you well know, but God knew what would happen. And this prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. And now he is exalted the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Verse 36, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what in the world are we going to do? Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins. Repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise to you, your children, to those far away, to all who have been called by the Lord our God. And Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said that day were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. What's amazing, about 40 years ago, archaeologists discovered dozens of baptistries all around the temple, all around the site where this happened. Back before Jesus, the reason they had these baptistries was so that people could, the Jewish people could, could literally baptize themselves, walk through the water themselves to be purified and be made ceremonially, ceremonially clean, easy for me to say, so they could go worship God. But on this day, on this day when the Spirit of God came to them on this 50th day, on this first Pentecost after the Passover when Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain. They didn't just receive the Word of God. They received the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came down like a rushing river and washed over them. And something changed. Something happened. Something was different. And it was the church being born that day as 3,000 were baptized. Now, There's a new chosen people. Now, there's a new group that's resurrected, not from the Red Sea. But these people, too, have walked through the water. They walked through the waters of baptism, and they became something new. 
Here's what Israel knew that day when they walked through the Red Sea. Here's what those 3,000 people knew on that first Pentecost after Jesus was, was, was crucified and resurrected. They all knew the same thing, that you cannot walk through the water and not be changed. That whenever you walk into the water, whenever you walk through the water, something has to change and what changes is you. God didn't save the Israelites from Egypt because they had it bad and he wanted them to have it better. He, he saved them because they were dying. Literally 80 years before God sent Moses to Pharaoh, when Moses was actually born, Pharaoh had given the order to kill every Hebrew boy on sight that was born, throw them in the Nile River, murder them. They were dying. Ironically enough, one baby boy was saved. His name is Moses, which literally means drawn from the water, saved from the water. And that one child that was born would come back 80 years later, and he would lead all of the people of God through the water to be saved. And in the same way, Jesus didn't come because you had it bad and he wants to improve your life. Jesus didn't come to be helpful. Jesus, became, Jesus came because he knew you and I, apart from him, are dying. We're dying in our sin. We're dying apart from him. We can't live without him. He is life. He is the resurrection and the life. We can't live without him. And he knew He knew that he needed to come from heaven to earth and that he would be born as a child. So that just like God went before Israel through the water to lead them to salvation, God could come from heaven to earth and lead us as well. From death into life. He didn't come because we were bad and he wants us to be better. He came because we are dying and he wants to give us new life. Here's what Jesus knew. That when we walk through the water, we receive, we receive a new identity in Christ. Something changes. We receive a new identity as people who have walked through the water. And we'll never be the same again. When you walk through the water, you receive a new identity and you receive a new purpose. Israel was saved through the water. They walked through the water and they became a new, they had a new identity. And they were called from that time on the children of God. Don't you love that? And when we, walk, when we walk through the water, we become known as the sons and daughters of God. When they walked through the water, they, they had a new purpose from God, to be a light to all the nations, to point everyone to God, the, the only God who saves. And when you and I walk through the water, we have that same purpose, to point those around us, to point the whole world, to make disciples, to point people to the only God who saves. That's what happens. That's what happens when we walk through the water. Church, if you would, let's stand. So the bad news is, I guess you might say, there is no get-out-of-jail-free card. There was a price to be paid, and Jesus paid it. He paid it so that you and I could step into the water and walk through the water and walk into new life. That's his desire for us. That we could walk through the water and that we could become the children of God so that we could become the sons and daughters of God. And my prayer today is, is that if you haven't done that, you'll think about it. You'll take this card and you'll, you'll let us know if that's something you want to talk about or something you want to do in a few weeks on Baptism Sunday. I want to invite our elders and their wives to make their way around the room. And if you want to take this card to one of them or go talk to one of them, they would love to talk with you about that. 
And for the rest of us, what I'm calling you back to is to remember the baptized life. That when you walk through the water, you can't walk through the water and not be changed. Something has to change. What changes is you. And that we are called to live into a new identity and live out of a new purpose as people who have walked through the water. May we be known. May we be known as people who have walked through the water. May we be known as sons and daughters of God. Let's sing.